Good morning. Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, lift us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Christ our Lord, amen. This morning's scripture comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth. We, uh, we've spent this month, the month of May, considering what we we're calling God's unhurried kingdom. And we've seen how God's kingdom, uh, which is not only the kingdom to come, although that is true, but, but his kingdom now, because as we pray every week and we'll pray towards the end of the service on earth as it is in heaven, God's kingdom is a counterculturally slow kingdom. That's countercultural because the world around us prioritizes speed and efficiency and optimization, getting as much done as you can in as little time as possible and as cheaply as possible. God, on the other hand, as we see throughout Scripture, is unhurried and patient. And this is a really good week. This is a really good weekend to consider patience because this weekend, most of you know this, right? This weekend is the official start of vegetable gardening season. So a lot of you, some of you have probably already gotten a start on your garden and you get the gold star for being more prepared than the rest of us. The rest of us are going to make our way to Home Depot, to the lawn center, you know, this afternoon or tomorrow. And we're going to sit and wait in line for half an hour with everybody else who waited until now to buy their little tomato seedlings or whatever it is that we're going to plant in our gardens. Memorial Day weekend, that's when you start your garden. And if you're a gardener, you know the importance of patience and of waiting and of being unhurried. You know that you cannot rush your garden. You can rush a lot of other things. So if if somebody you know and love has a birthday coming up and you forgot it was their birthday and then it's tomorrow, oh, shoot, what do I do? Of course, we all know what to do. You go to Amazon and you click expedite and you can expedite your friend's birthday gift because you forgot to get them a birthday gift. But you cannot expedite your tomato plants, can you? Growth takes time. It is slow It is methodical. It is often, it always seems invisible. You never notice it as it's happening. You almost only notice it in the rearview mirror, as it turns out. And this morning, we're considering the growth of God's kingdom. 
which Jesus tells us is much like a garden. We're in Mark 4. In fact, in Mark 4, Jesus tells three parables about seeds, as if he really wants to emphasize that God's kingdom is like a seed. It is slow, often painfully so. And if you're a gardener, I think Jesus' imagery here is really going to resonate. Now, when we talk about uh, God's kingdom, we kind of have to ask, what are we talking about? We could be talking about any number of things. Uh, I realize some of this sermon is is kind of abstract, and I'm, I'm somewhat leaving it up to you to connect some of the dots. Part of that is because there's just not time to touch on every aspect that it could mean. But all of them are there. When we talk about God's kingdom, we could be talking about what's going on internally within us, our own personal spiritual growth. And many of you will probably identify here. When we talk about God's kingdom and the growth of God's kingdom, we could be talking about his global kingdom on earth, on the whole earth as it is in heaven. And the spread of what makes God's heart beat, namely justice and mercy for all people. You could be talking about the growth of the church, not just the the little C church, Middle Street, but the capital C church, the global church, the growth and the spread of God's people. By the way, speaking of growth being slow and invisible, you might think if you just read the news and read the headlines that this was a pretty bad time for the church. In fact, experts in missions tell us that that the church, capital C, has never grown faster in history than it is growing right now. See, we don't see it. We don't notice it in the moment. But there it goes, doing what it does. You see, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's a multifaceted prayer. We're praying for, for God's kingdom to come in so many ways. It's, at the same time, that's an intimately personal prayer. Lord, your will be done in my life. And it is a far-reaching and global prayer. Lord, your will be done on the whole earth. And in each of these facets, whether we're talking about something very personal and intimate or whether we're talking about something global and systemic and far-reaching, we see that God's kingdom is a slow growth kingdom. Woodworkers will tell you they would much rather work with slow growth wood than fast growth wood. Slow growth wood, it's, it's just what it sounds like. It's a tree that grew really slowly over a long period of time. And one of the ways you can tell slow growth lumber is the rings in the tree when you cut it down are much closer together. Slow growth lumber is harder like physically harder, it's stronger, it's straighter, it doesn't warp and twist and bend as easily, it's more stable, it doesn't respond as dramatically to changes in temperature and humidity. The best lumber you can get if you're making a piece of furniture is a really old piece of wood that's been growing for a hundred years. God's kingdom is a slow-growth kingdom. And that drives us nuts sometimes. Let's just call it what it is. I remember uh, very early, I think my first year uh, that I began serving here at Middle Street, I was having a conversation. I had met one of our members. We had met for breakfast, and we were chatting over breakfast. And he had shared with me a number of things that he thought needed to change at the church. And I remember telling him at one point, like, I, I agree. 
I, I actually agree with you on a lot of this. I think a lot of you're exactly right. Let's give it a decade and see what happens. And I remember the look on his face, and he said, we don't have that kind of time. And I didn't know what to respond in the moment. In hindsight, I might have said something like, we can't afford not to wait that long. And unfortunately, this person is no longer at Middle Street, and so hasn't seen some of what's happened over the past nearly a decade. But now we're almost a decade later. And some of you have been here for the past decade. Some of you have been here much longer, and you've seen the ways that our church is growing and maturing and becoming healthier over time. But Lord knows it did not happen overnight. God has so clearly been at work, even here just in this church. But boy, it's been slow. (laughs) This is what the kingdom is like, Jesus says. A man scatters seed on the ground. And night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he, the gardener, doesn't know how. All by itself, Jesus says, the soil, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, and then the head, and then the full kernel in the head, and as soon as the grain is ripe, He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. There's there's so so many places we we could go here. And just just as I was getting dressed this morning, I realized a whole other sermon I could preach on this that I actually like better than what I'm going to preach this morning. Uh, But we just can't go everywhere I want to go. This morning, we're just going to consider two simple aspects of this parable. We're going to consider what the gardener's job isn't And we're going to consider what the gardener's job is. Simple. What the gardener's job isn't and what the gardener's job is. We're going to start with what the gardener's job isn't because it makes, it's very, very clear. This is the point that Jesus is trying to get across. And yet it's still so counterintuitive to our desire to control things. It is not the gardener's job to make seeds grow. It is not the gardener's job to make seeds grow. Now that sounds counterintuitive. Like, what else does a gardener do? What else is gardening but making seeds grow, right? Here's what Jesus says. A man scatters seed on the ground. Just throws out some seed. And night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Whatever the gardener does, and think about it, Jesus isn't just making a point. This is still true today. Whatever you do in your garden, you plant your seeds and you do everything, like you don't actually flip a switch to make the seed start growing. You don't apply a chemical and the seed that was dormant all of a sudden is active and live and starts growing. Whatever the gardener does, he sleeps and the seed grows. And if that's not clear enough, then Jesus doubles down in verse 28. He says, all by itself, the soil produces the grain. That Greek word for all by itself uh, that's translated there in English, that's the same word from which we get the English word automatic. Automatically. 
automatically the soil produces grain. Not the gardener doesn't produce the grain, the soil. It is not up to the gardener to produce the plant. That just happens. You know how I know? Because there's a huge stand of woods behind our house, or behind the neighbor's house across the street, that nobody planted and grew. All by itself, it grew without any human intervention. In fact, a good gardener knows that seeds grow by themselves because a good gardener doesn't plant weeds. And there they go growing all by themselves. And you have to control that and and domestic and pull those weeds out. You didn't plant them. They just grow by themselves. Seeds grow by themselves. And what's amazing, we don't even know how. Jesus emphasizes this. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, and he does not know, like, how does this actually happen? Now, with modern science, we have a little bit more insight into the mechanics of how a seed works and the chemical and what's going on, and and it's even more baffling now to us based on what little we know than it was then. And even now, botanists can't tell you exactly what it is that makes a seed grow. We just know that it does. And we can describe the process pretty well, but we still can't fully explain it. The gardener doesn't know how the seed grows. He just scatters seed and goes to sleep. And the seed grows. Now it seems as if Jesus here is emphasizing the gardener's inaction. But he's not saying the gardener is lazy. In fact, the gardener, and those of you who are gardeners know this, the gardener has an awful lot of work to do. His job is not to make the seed grow. That happens more or less on its own, but the gardener has work to do, a lot of work. Ask any farmer if they just kind of sit back and put their feet up and whether their job is quick or easy. They will tell you that a lazy farmer quickly becomes a hungry farmer. So what is the gardener's job? If their job is not to make the seed grow and if yet they're busy, what does the gardener do? As best as I can tell, the gardener's job is fourfold. First, and we're going to look into each of these just a little bit. First, the gardener's job is to create an environment in which the seed can grow. Secondly, the gardener's job is to plant seeds. Thirdly, the gardener's job is to be patient and to patiently and steadily work to maintain an environment where seeds can grow. And then fourth, Gardener's job is to enjoy and take advantage of the harvest when the time comes. So we're going to look at each of those four, and then we're going to try to put these together and ask, what is God saying to us through gardening? First, a good gardener's job is to create an environment where a seed can grow. If you grow tomatoes, if you grow peppers, if you grow flowers, it doesn't matter what you grow. If you just go and buy a packet of seeds and throw the seeds out into your lawn you're going to be disappointed before too long. A good gardener doesn't just throw her seed out into the middle of the yard and hope for the best. No, what do you do? If you're creating a new, a new garden, a new bed, what do you do? You till up the soil. You make sure it's good soil. You might take some samples and send it off to UNH, to the extension office, to get a soil test. And they can tell you whether your soil has a healthy pH or if it's acidic and you need to add lime. And they'll tell you how much sand is in your soil so that you can make sure it drains well. 
And they'll tell you how much organic matter is in your soil. And if it's not, if you don't have enough organic matter, then you'll go out and buy some compost or you made some in your backyard and you'll, you'll add some compost and other amendments. In other words, the gardener doesn't just throw seed out and hope for the best. The gardener creates the healthiest possible environment in which the seed can grow. Once they've created that environment, then they plant the seeds. You scatter seeds. When the soil conditions are right, and importantly, when it's the right time of year, because you're not going to plant your tomatoes in February, when it's the right time of year, the gardener scatters seed or plants seed or however they're doing it. They make sure it's planted well and watered in and make sure it's planted at the right depth. And then the gardener's job is to be patient and to work and be patient. You can't rush growth. We know that. You can, however, encourage growth. And this is so much of what the work is. It seems like maybe 80 to 90% of the work is encouraging growth. And again, those of you who are gardeners know that most of your time is spent actively waiting, which sounds like a contradiction in terms. Actively waiting. It's waiting. You're not harvesting your tomatoes yet. I know. As much as you want to. You're not enjoying the blooms of your wildflowers yet. Maybe some of you are. But you're waiting. But it's not lazy waiting. You're not just sitting around doing nothing. It's very active waiting. You're pulling weeds. Because in too many weeds, and they'll choke out your plants, and they'll rob the soil of nutrients that should be going to your tomatoes. And you water your plants if it hasn't rained in a while to make sure that they get enough water, but not too much. And if the plant is a vine, then you train the vine so that they have somewhere to grow and so they don't overcrowd themselves and so that the full plant can get as much air and sunlight and water as possible. And if you're growing flowers, then you're going to deadhead them after the first set of blooms because then you might get a second set of blooms. And if you see diseased leaves or if you see certain branches or stalks that are not bearing fruit or that don't have a bud, then you're going to prune those as well so that all of the nutrients and water from the soil can make it to the parts that are bearing fruit. It's like gardening is a lot of work. Farming is a lot of work. And most of that is work you do while you're just kind of waiting. It's active waiting and waiting and waiting until one day comes the harvest. And finally, your plants bloom, and finally your tomatoes are ripe and ready for that perfect summer salad that you're going to make with your tomatoes. Just this week, you've been wondering what this flower is doing here. Just this week, one of our peony plants exploded. And we've got these. I mean, it's just, it's a bush of, of this. Now, let me, let me let you in on a little secret. I did not make this flower. I did not fashion it. I didn't create it. I didn't, I didn't grow it. I did very little. I feel like now that I get to see that, like, my goodness, stunning. I pulled weeds. I put down mulch so that the ground would retain water and to choke out some weeds. Put some water on it every so often, not as much as I should have. And just waited. <clears throat> and got that. It's beautiful. You see, the gardener isn't lazy 
but the gardener does have to be patient. And the gardener's job is not to make the seeds grow on their own. Her job is to be as hospitable as possible to that tomato or to that peony bush or whatever it's going to be, and to be patient. I came across a couple weeks ago an old Latin phrase. The phrase is festina lente, which means to make haste slowly. Isn't that a good phrase? To make haste slowly. That's a good description of the Christian life. God calls us to work and to be active and to be faithful in the environments where he has placed us and to be hospitable and to make our environments as rich and nourishing and as conducive to spiritual growth as possible. And yet, he reminds us over and over that we are not in control. The final product, so to speak, is we have a hand in it, but it's really not all up to us. Which should be really encouraging in those moments that you think, God, I'm trying to do what you're asking me to do, and I just don't see any results. And I've got nothing to show for it. We want to be in control, don't we? If we're being honest, if we're really being honest, come on. Like, we want to be in control. And so many, how many times have you said, and maybe you have better self-control, and so you haven't said it, but you still thought it. Like, if I were in control, this is how I would do things. We all want to be in control. But the thing is, for starters, the more control you have, the more pressure you're under. And the more the final result is up to you than if you whiff. It's an awful lot of pressure on your shoulders. Jesus teaches us that because God's kingdom is an unhurried kingdom, it actually relieves us. It takes the pressure off our shoulders. I didn't make this flower. I I could not have made a flower like this on my own. I just spent a little bit, and I'm not even a flower guy, but I spent a little bit of time just this morning. I clipped it this morning. I started looking, and I could have never, like I couldn't have dreamed up the vivid color of this peony flower. And I could not, I I wouldn't even know how to begin to fashion these kinds of thin and delicate and intricate petals. And I would never have been able to engineer a stalk that's that thin, and yet that can grow three feet tall and not just flop over. And we didn't even put, like, we should, we were, you know, you're supposed to, if you have peonies or other big, but you're supposed to put that thing around them, whatever that's called. We didn't even do that. And they're just standing there, three feet tall with a stalk. How does, I couldn't do any of that. All we did was pluck some weeds and put down some mulch. And, like, so often our spiritual life is like that. that God tells us, here's how to create a healthy environment. Here are the little ordinary day-to-day things that really will help you. And I know you won't see results immediately, but they really will help you. It's just like gardening. We put some water on the plant and nothing happened. And we put down mulch and nothing happened. And we plucked weeds and nothing happened. And then Tuesday, we left for a couple days, and we got back uh, Friday, and holy smokes, something happened. 
God says, spend time in my word. Delight in my word and let my word and my word soak into you. And we do it and it feels like nothing happens. And I feel like I didn't get anything out of it this morning. What's the use? And God says, pray. And, And not just as an activity like we talked about earlier, but maintain a posture of prayer, of intimate communion with me. And we try and then we get distracted and think, I'm just not very good at prayer. I'm just, what's the use? And God says, give your life in sacrificial generosity, and you do, and you try, and it's not received well, and you think, what's the use? And God says, practice your faith faith with one another, because our faith is not a lone ranger faith, and you try to have a good, engaging spiritual conversation, and it just, it's awkward, and it doesn't, and you think, what's the use? Our spiritual life, our life, God's kingdom, just like gardening, is a lot of day-to-day, ordinary, sometimes they feel meaning, meaning, menial and pointless tasks. And they feel menial because they don't show instant results. But imagine a garden where the gardener never watered and never plucked weeds and never pruned because they just didn't see, the, they didn't see the immediate results. How would that garden look? And what is my spiritual life like when I don't tend to my soul like a gardener tends to her garden? What is our spiritual life like if all we do is hurry around enslaved to the tyranny of the urgent? I read recently about a cardiologist named Meyer Friedman, and he became famous for a theory that he developed. This is going to drive some of you nuts, I know. Type A people who are chronically angry and in a hurry, and it's interesting to me that he links anger and hurry here, but he noticed that type A people who are chronically angry and in a hurry are statistically much more likely to have a heart attack. And he first noticed this when he noticed that his most at-risk patients demonstrated what, in his words, was a strong sense of urgency, a strong sense of time urgency. In other words, they were always in a hurry. Even when they didn't have to be in a hurry, they were always in a hurry. He didn't write this, but this is my, so if you're, because this is me, right? You're in, you're in a, there's two lanes at the stoplight, and your lane has three cars, and the other lane has one car, so you get in the other lane. Or you're in line at the supermarket, and there are two baskets in front of you and one basket in front of that one, so you skip the line to the other one a chronic sense of hurry. And he noticed that this created a pretty striking statistical disadvantage for cardiac patients. In fact, he coined a phrase called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness, which means exactly what it sounds like, that it's possible to be in such a hurry that you place yourself at a much higher risk for having a heart attack. Now get this. He coined the phrase hurry sickness in the mid-1950s. What do you think he would say today? Hurry never leads to health, to true long-term health. 
Another pastor and author named John Ortberg puts it this way. Same thing, different words. He says, hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. And into that, Jesus speaks and says, you cannot hurry the kingdom of God. The farmer scatters seed and waits and sleeps. And it grows, but he knows not how. We follow Jesus, we trust him, we obey him, we do the work he calls us to do as he calls us to do it in his time, but the results really are not in our hands. So when you're thinking, God, how come I'm still struggling with this thing I've been struggling with for for months, for years, for decades? How come I'm still grieving this loss from so many years ago? I should be over this by now. God, why does this family member still hurt my feelings every time we get together? God, how come my job is so lifeless and menial and it's just, I hate going to work. Can't you find me a different job? Like, wherever it is we find ourselves, it's as if Jesus is saying, make haste slowly, slowly. To paraphrase from a different part of the Gospels, consider the peony. (laughs) Do the work that I've called you to do. Water, prune, pull some weeds, but let me take care of the final product. This applies to us. You see how this applies to us individually in terms of our own spiritual growth? This applies to us globally as well. God, how come there are still wicked world leaders? I thought we had made so much progress. How how come there's still genocide against the Uyghurs? How come there's civil war again in Sudan? How come there's still racism in America? And sometimes it even feels more overt now than it did before. To which Jesus says, I think, make haste slowly. Do the work that I've called you to do. What you can, where you can. Water and prune and pull weeds. But the end result is up to me. And I am making all things new. And remember, waiting does not mean we're inactive. Just like no good farmer is inactive. Jesus calls us to active patience. And so maybe you have a venue, maybe you have a voice somewhere where you can speak up for justice. Then Jesus says, speak up for justice. Maybe you're in a position of leadership and you can actually make cultural or systemic changes that can put people who were at a disadvantage at an advantage. Jesus says, use that and leverage it. But remember also, the soil produces the grain, not the gardener. If you want a pithy little turn of phrase, you might say that God doesn't call us to be fruitful. He calls us to be faithful. He takes care of the fruit. So you see, every week, maybe more than every week, when we pray and when you pray, thy kingdom come, this is essentially what we're saying. Not my kingdom come, what I think would be best, when I think it would be best, how I think it would be best, where I think it would be best, but God, thy kingdom come. 
which inevitably means we don't, we don't understand. We don't know why God does things the way he does things. We don't know why he's taking so stinking long. Peter helps us here. Second Peter verse chapter 3. He reminds us, he's quoting first from the Old Testament. He says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And he puts some extra skin on those bones and says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. I love this. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We learn in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything beautiful in its time. You know what happens when you try to make your garden mums bloom in April or May? Absolutely nothing, right? And if you try really, really, really hard, you might be a little bit successful, but you're going to ruin your mums and you'll be frustrated. You'll be nothing but frustrated. You have to wait until their time, until the end of September, getting into October, and then watch your mums just explode. He's made everything beautiful in its time, he says. He is patient. The good news is he is patient with you and with me. Could it be that God's slowness, as we perceive it, is just God's patience with us as well? See, Jesus assures us God's kingdom is growing. It is. We don't notice growth in the moment, just like if you're a parent of a small kid, you don't notice that your kid has grown from one day to another. But when mom and dad, when your mom and dad, the kid's grandparents come to town, they notice because it's been three months since they saw their grandkids. We don't notice growth in the moment. It can be so frustrating, I know, but that doesn't mean that growth isn't happening. God's kingdom is growing globally and inside each of our souls, whether we see it or not, whether we notice it or not. But prune and weed and water and do all the small things he calls you to do and let him grow the most beautiful garden. He is the master gardener. Amen.